this morning. Uh, let's take the series of First Thessalonians. We've been in the last uh, few weeks, really this whole fall. But before we get into it, I want to tell you that my family, we celebrated a little bit of a uh, milestone as a family this, uh, a couple weeks ago. We've kind of been celebrating for a little while now because what we celebrated was uh, Enoch's uh, fifth gotcha day. You don't know what a gotcha day is in the adoption community. That's the day that you celebrate when you legally adopt your, your child. And so five years ago, we legally adopted Enoch as our son. We were in Uganda at that time adopting him. And a really awesome day. So we celebrated that five years ago. Yesterday, there was actually pictures being passed around on Facebook. They had pictures of us five years ago. Yesterday, we landed in Austin. Uh, with Enoch and had a bunch of friends there at the airport. It was a pretty special moment. And so that has had me thinking about uh, the very first time I met Enoch, getting to see him for the very first time. Because our adoption, I mean, all kinds of adoptions are done all different ways. But for Krista and I, our adoption of Enoch, we actually had never met Enoch before we traveled to Uganda to actually adopt him. So we, but the process to adopt Enoch had taken about 18 months. And so for 18 months, we were waiting and praying and anticipating and preparing to adopt our son. But we didn't know, we didn't know who he was. We did know that he was going to be uh, four years old or younger, and he was going to be a boy. That's that's all we knew. And so we called him Baby You, and we talked about Baby You because we were adopting him from Uganda. So Baby You, Baby You, Baby You, and we were raising money for him because traveling over there and the adoption process was very expensive. So we talked about it. In fact. I don't know if the slides are working, they're not working. So I had this really like moving picture to show you of us, but uh, you're not gonna get to see it. So just pretend it's awesome. All right. But uh, and so we, we were preparing for him, anticipating getting to meet this boy that's gonna be our son, but we have no face, no name, no, no anything. Until finally, like 16 months, 16 months into this process, we get a call from our adoption agencies to say we've been matched with. Uh, a boy we're sending us a picture over email. And so Krista and Camp, our, our biological son, who was a little over two at that time, and, and me, we all gathered on the computer, Camp's in my lap, Krista's right next to me, click on the email, and up pops another awesome picture. You would be so moved right now because the picture pops up, and it's Enoch, it's the very first time we've ever seen his face, and it's just like, oh my goodness. And I say to Camp, so Camp, that's your brother. That's baby you. And I kid you not, he says, Ah, oh, there it is. <laughs> See, I wasn't, I wasn't even exaggerating, right? So Camp says, I kid you not, Camp says, Oh, I love him. Isn't that awesome? It's like for Camp, he's two, Camp's two and a half at this time. Enoch's two. And, and uh, for 18 months of Camp's life, like 36 months of life, or 18 for almost all of his life that he can remember. Like we've been talking to him about baby you. We've been talking to him about his brother that we're gonna adopt. We've been praying with him for baby you and all this stuff. So he's like so ready to see him. And so anyways, we get this picture, we, we get in a little while longer, we have to wait, and then finally we get in the, on the plane and we fly to Uganda. And we're gonna be in Uganda for a month. That's how long it would take for the adoption process, and the papers and all that stuff. So we're, we're there, but we fly the 27 hours with a two-year-old. You know, he watched Toy Story over and over. And, over and, and then uh, we, we get land uh, in, in Uganda. We take a two, two-hour car ride to Kampala, where Enoch's orphanage is. And as you can imagine, like just the anxiety, right? I mean, we have been anxiously awaiting this day. 
Like 18 months, this is the day where we finally get to see our son. We touch him. We hear his voice holding in our arms, see him face to face. We're just so incredibly excited, so waiting, like anticipating that day finally was here. And so we pull up to the orphanage, door swings open. There's like five aunties, five Ugandan ladies who take care of the orphans in this orphanage. And one of them's holding our two-year-old son, Enoch. And she just gives them to Krista and it's like this. We are so overjoyed. Like, there he is. There he is. Like, yeah. Isn't that awesome? So we are just overjoyed. But as you can imagine, Enoch is a little overwhelmed. Because he doesn't really know what's going on. And they're these strangers. And you know, they're, we're, we're different color than him. And all this stuff. It's like super overwhelmed. Like, what's going on? And so they usher us into another room where it can just be camp. And Krista and Enoch and I, all together, and Enoch's eyes are just huge, and he like, starts to cry. Krista is holding Enoch in her, in his, in her lap, and he, she says to uh, Cam, Hey Cam, Enoch is a little afraid right now. Do you want to say anything to him? And again, here's my two-year-old son, for his, almost his entire life, been anticipating meeting his brother. Been praying for his brother and his mom and dad, and talking about it. We we bought him bunk beds and set up the room that he and so before we had left, like he knew like his brother's gonna be in this bedroom with him. We like he's been waiting to be with baby you to be with Enoch. And Chris says, "You want to say something to him?" And he walks up to Enoch and he holds him by the hand and he says, "You've got a friend." <laughs> He sings that song. When the road looks rough ahead and your miles and miles from your nice warm bed, just remember what your old pal said. You've got a friend in me. Like Chris and I are like. <laughs> I mean, it was just so moving. It was amazing. What a great day that was. To finally meet our son, who we've been waiting and waiting, anticipating in the face of I tell you that story because I want to see if I can get you all to cry this morning. <laughs> I, tell you that, I tell you that story. I love that story, but I tell it to you this morning because in the passage that we're looking at today, we're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And in this passage, this passage was written as a response to the Thessalonian believers because they were eagerly, excitedly, anxiously awaiting the day when they would finally be united with the one that they love more than anyone, their Savior, their Lord Jesus Christ. And that they were so excited about that day when they would be able to be face to face with Jesus, when they would actually touch him and physically feel his embrace and audibly hear his voice welcoming it into their welcoming them into his joy. They had longed for that day. And so they had, if you remember chapter 3, like Timothy had come and visited them. And then brought news back to Paul about how the Thessalonians were doing. When he brought news back, he also brought back three big questions that the church of Thessalonica had. One of those questions, really the third of those questions was, hey, when is Jesus returning? And when is the day of the Lord coming? When is he coming back? Because they were suffering from great, great persecution. If you remember, Acts 17, like this is great oppression had broken out. It's like because of their faith. And so they're living in that and they're thinking, when is Jesus? going to rescue us. 
When is Jesus going to finally come back to unite us with him that we would be physically in his presence forever and ever and ever? When is that day coming? We just want Jesus to return. And so they write to Paul saying, hey, when is that happening? Timothy delivers that note and Paul pins these words. Here's what he writes. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. I mean, 1 through 11. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, we have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. But while people are, people are saying, there is peace and security, the sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon pregnant women. And they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day, we are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord, Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, I encourage one another and build one another up, just as you do. Let me pray and we'll this passage. Father God, we are praying that you speak to us today from the word. Lord, that you would grow within us an anticipation of your coming Christ, that we would be with you forever. Grow in us in anticipation and move us in the light of this day to be prepared, to be ready, and to help as best we can help others be ready as well. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Alright. So we continue this series we're in, right? First uh oh, in first Thessalonians, we've been calling the moving faith. If you remember like the whole major theme of Thessalonians, uh, the book of Thessalonians is is all on how faith in Christ is meant to uh, leave us not as we are, not so we don't stay as we are. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, He comes into our life and He's going to move us to along in our spiritual maturity in Him, and He's going to move us to join Him in His mission in the world. And that that's that's like what uh, the Christian faith is the effect that it's supposed to have on all believers. So we've been asking again and again throughout the series, like, do you see that in your own life? If you place your faith in Jesus Christ alone for forgiveness of your sins, you're a follower of his, do you see, are you spiritually maturing in Christ? Are you joining him in his mission? Is that happening? What we see today, in today's passage, is, is Paul began talking about how there's this day, the day of the Lord has come, and how that day should also be one of the things God uses to propel us forward in our faith in Christ that we would continue to move within the maturity and on mission. All right, so here, let me just begin to unpack this passage for us. Uh, again, the, the Thessalonians had asked, when is the day of the Lord coming? And what we see, if you notice here in this passage, when I read it, you don't see a date, right? Paul, Paul doesn't say, well, in February, February 2nd. It's not, not what he says. That instead of giving them a question, uh, answering their question with a date, he encourages them to prepare for that day. And what he says to them is just as relevant 
uh, to them at that time as it is to us in this time. And so this is a big encouragement. Be prepared for the day of the Lord because here's the first you know, point for your outline. If you follow along on your notes, you can say, because we don't know when that day is coming. Be prepared for the day of the Lord because we don't know when that day is coming. I mean, we'll be in verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 and 2. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. But in, in other words, Paul is saying, hey, like, when it comes to the seasons, dates, and times, like, of leading up to Christ's return, like, you don't need to say anything. I haven't already told you. You're fully aware. How would they be fully aware? Because when Paul was with them, he must have been talking about this day. And he told them everything they need to know about the win of this day. And what he says he told them and what he's reminded them of is that we don't know when that day is coming. It's coming like a thief in the night. And you don't know when a thief is coming. At least if they're a good thief, right? And so you don't know when the thief is coming. You don't know when Jesus is coming. That's what Paul is saying. In fact, what he says here is what the Bible says again and again and again to the question, when will Christ return? He says, we don't know. In fact, Jesus himself put it this way in Matthew 24, verses 42 through 44. He says, therefore stay away, for you do, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. He would not have let uh, his house be broken into Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So Paul just repeats what Jesus himself said when it comes to the question, when does this happen? So we, don't, we don't know. It's going to happen like a thief in the night. But then he says that uh, in light of that, live ready, because it can happen at any time. In fact, it's fun when I was developing the series. I was planning on it over the summer, laying it out for the whole fall. It wasn't lost on me that the, the topic of when Christ will return would fall the Sunday before election day. Election day. It's like election Sunday. And like everyone's thinking, plus you add in, of course, the, the, the Chicago Cubs win the World Series, and everyone's thinking, like, man, the end must really be here. Right? But we don't know. We really don't know when Jesus is coming. We don't know when the day of the Lord is. And so it's like, it's imminent. It's, he is coming. And it can happen at any moment. So what do we do? We need to be ready. In fact, that's what he goes into next in verse 3. He says, while people are saying, there is peace and security. The sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. Now let me take a minute here, right? Because uh, this verse makes the day of the Lord sound like a day that we, we really want, it to want to come, right? I mean, who wants sudden destruction to come upon them that they can't escape? Like labor pains. Like the, 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 the illustration here is that when, you know, when a woman is pregnant and she starts going to labor pains, there's really no stopping it. There's no escape at that point. Like you're just gonna have a baby. Like you say, hey, let's think about this. Like you're so thinking about this, it's just happening. And so like that when the day of the Lord comes, there's gonna be severe destruction. It's gonna come upon you like labor pains. There will be no escape. So what's he talking about here? Because this certainly doesn't make you like the Thessalonians are anticipating the coming of the Lord. Like when is he happening? It's like, why would they want this day to happen? But there's this severe destruction. Well, the understanding. Uh, what this is talking about, we have to understand what the day of the Lord is, okay? So let me give you a definition. The day of the Lord is not actually a, a, a day, 
but a period of time, an eschatological event, or an end times event, where the Lord comes to bring blessing and judgment. That's important for you to hear. Today, when Jesus returns, initiates this, this, this period where he's going to bring blessing and judgment. He brings blessing to those that trust in Christ for their salvation for their sins. And he brings judgment for those who rejected him. They're still in their sin. You want to read more about the day of the Lord, you can read 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. You can read Revelation chapter 6, all the way through chapter 19. It's a very detailed explanation of time, the day of the Lord. And it's, it's heavy. It, for those who have yet to trust Jesus as your Savior, for those who have yet to have Jesus redeem them from their sins, the day of the Lord will initiate a time of severe judgment. Because this day is coming when no one will expect it, then, then that's why you see in verse 3 people will be saying things like, hey, peace and security, like we're, everything's fine, everything feels good, everything, is, you know, there's no reason to be concerned. And then out of what seemingly feels like nowhere, Christ will return. And for those who don't know him, the Father, severe judgment, severe destruction, there will be at that time. No escape. Now, if, you, if you're like me, you hear this, and you don't like it. Again, if you're a Christian, and I'm sure you, there's part of you that does not like this, for your friends, for your family members, for anyone you think of who doesn't know Christ, like, I, I don't want Jesus to return because I want them to know Christ before that day comes. And so I don't look forward to this thing. There's something you don't like. If you're not a believer, then you, you will not like that this is in. You can write it off if you want, but it, 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 this is upsetting, and I get that. I get that. I feel that as well. And one of the things that you might think that I you know, spent a lot of time on thinking this week is just like, Jesus, why? Why, why do you have to come to judge some and bless others? Why can't you just come as a savior of all? Why, why, why can't you just come to bring blessing to everyone instead of severe destruction to some that have rejected you? Why? And as I spend some time thinking about that, and that's your question, I want you to hear this. He did. And he already did that. See, what Paul's talking about here is Christ's second coming. But when he came the first time, that's exactly what he did. See, he did not come to bring destruction or judgment. That he literally came to be a savior for all. If you don't believe him, listen to his own words in John chapter 3. He says this For God so loved the world, meaning everyone in it, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He did not come the first time to judge the world, but in order that he that the world might be saved through him. That whoever like, meaning, this is available to everybody. That King James Version, that whosoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You see, friends, Jesus has already come to be the for all. That whoever believes that he died in their place, Pay the penalty for your sins. 
that he rose again, defeating death, being a full payment for your sins. If you put your faith in his death and resurrection, then you're saved. Like literally, your sins are forgiven. You're made into a new person. You become a new creation. That you're adopted into God's family. And you're promised you will not perish. You will not fall under severe destruction. Oh, it's getting dark in here. <laughs> but let's make this a little bit more ominous. <laughs> you will not perish, but you'll have eternal life. That's what Christ did when he came the very first time. Dying on the cross for everyone's sins. And now it's up to you. Whosoever will believe. It's up to you. See, the way that we prepare for this day so that the day of the Lord does not strike us like unprepared, like a thief in the night, is if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you are ready for this day. And so, friends, if you've never done that, now we're going to encourage you. It's cliche. But then we say in church, like, place your faith in Christ. That he would save you. And you can do that right where you sit. You just tell God, I believe, that you just died and rose again for me. He's my Savior. And for the rest of us who've already done that, and let us be reminded of how important it is for us to love, and love our friends in the name of Christ and to tell our friends who Jesus is and what he's done for them, that they would be prepared for this day. May all of our friends, all of our neighbors, may anyone we come in contact with have repeated opportunities to place their faith in Jesus Christ because they've heard the gospel of someone who loves them as part of this church. You've got to be ready. It's this day that's coming. It says, the way you're ready, your faith in Christ, you become a whole new person. In fact, that's where Paul goes next in this passage. Let's keep on moving. He says, you know, I guess my outline is be prepared for the day of the Lord because we do know who we are. We do know who we are. Let me explain what I mean by that. Look, look back at verse 4. He says, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. You see this, guys? So you out, like, you see that identity language that he uses there? Like, this is who you are. That you're children of the day. You're children of the light. That's identity language. But we are not, to keep going, says, we are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, verse 6, and here he transitions. He starts talking about how Christians are to live according to who we are. So he says, so then, let us not sleep. As others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So let me, I don't know if, this is, if you're following this, but here's Paul's argument. He says, hey, we don't need to be afraid of the day of the Lord, that it would surprise us like a thief in the night. Why? Because we're living the right way. We're doing the right things. No, that's not what he says. You notice that? No, he says we're ready based on our identity. And we get our identity based on not what we do, though that's what the world will tell us. You do things to earn your identity. Biblically speaking, you see again and again and again in Scripture, 
we receive our identity from God based on what He has done for us. And so He says, you are prepared. So this day will not surprise you like a thief in the night because of who you are in Christ. See, now, because you place your faith in Jesus Christ alone and forgiveness of your sins, you're a new person. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You are now children of the day. You're children of the, not, uh, of the light. You're, you're children of the Father of lights, as James 1, 17 talks about God. It says, God is the Father of lights. Well, He's our Father. We're now His children, children of the light. Because of that, we're prepared. We're prepared for the day of the Lord to come. And we can be excited because we're going to be reunited with God. Then, verse 6, he moves on, and it's kind of like a tangent if you follow what he's, like his flow of thought. And he just says, hey, by the way, because this is who we are, hey, let's live like who we are. Let's you know, know who you are, and then live accordingly. If you know who you are, and you belong to God, you're children of the light, then, then hey, don't, don't walk around like you're asleep. And in this passage, he talks about being Sleep and being drunk, and he contrasts that with being awake and being sober. Now, the sober and the drunk part, it's helpful to know that that is not specifically talking about you know, drinking too much. It, it's, it really, honestly, it's no less than that, but it's not specifically talking about that. But the idea is that he's talking about is the sober-minded, or being sober is sober-minded. And to be sober-minded, guys, is to be not oh, like, like having uh, something else control your thinking or your, like something control your passions. Or you're not being controlled by something else so that you can think in light, in line with reality. Be sober-minded is when something else is in control of your thinking so you can think in line with reality. When you're drunk, you're, you can be drunk with a million different things where you're just uh, being overcome, giving yourself over to be influenced by something else and you're not going to live in life with reality. And to be asleep here is to be asleep spiritually. Just be spiritually asleep, which is where you're not awake to reality. But there is a God that He loves you, that He died for you, that, that sin has consequences, that He's Christ is returning. It, it, you can sleepwalk through life where you don't realize you're not awake to spiritual realities. To be awake, to be alert to those is to say, yeah, there really is a God. He really does love me. He really did die for me. I really am a new person in him, so let me live accordingly. He really is going to return. That's to be awakened, Paul says. And because of who we are, let us live accordingly. Because of who Christ, what Christ has done for us, who he has made us, let's live that out. When we do that, we are living in a way that anticipates Jesus' return. We're, we're prepared because of what Christ has done for us. But we're living, anticipating it by living out who we are. Does that make sense? So, so be so reminded. Be awake. Look alive. And you might ask, okay, well, what, is this, what does that exactly look like? Well, that's what he gets into with some specifics in verse 8. So in verse 8, he says this. But since we belong to the day, in identity language, this is who we belong to, since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So he, he points to these three Christian virtues. Faith, love, and hope. Or we've heard him also say faith, hope, and love. These key three Christian virtues. And he says, hey, you want to live a sober life? You need to put these on. 
breastplate of faith and love, the, the, the helmet that is the hope of your salvation. Now, I don't want it to be lost on you. You see the imagery here? The imagery is that of a soldier. And that's when, when Christ returns, it's often depicted in the scripture that the king is coming home to us. And we here said, okay, let's be like a Roman soldier, alert, awake, on guard, prepared to receive our king. Standing ready. We've got our arm wrong. So, okay, well, what, what's up with this faith and love? And what does it even mean, this armor? I could spend a long time trying to help you understand that. Oh, I don't have the time, but let me, let me just try to, to quick step it, okay? When it says, uh, you know, breastplate of, of faith and love. Breastplate was a piece of armor that would go from your neck all the way past your waist. It would cover all your vital organs. And he says, Paul said, okay, to live sober, to be prepared for Christ's return, believers, to live out who you really are, then you need to put on faith and love every day to protect you. So what does that even mean? Well, guys, faith is this. And I'm going to write this down. This is such a helpful definition. I've held on to it forever and ever. I got this from a guy in Andy Stanley, who's a pastor. He's is stuck with me. Faith is this. Faith is believing God's promises. Faith is trusting in God's promises, specifically that God is who he says he is, that he has done what he said he's, he's done, and that he will do what he says he will do. That he is who he says he is, that he has done what he says he's done, and he will do what he says he will do. That's faith. Now here's how putting on faith will help you be ready for Christ's return. I'll just talk personally for me. Personally, on the days where I actually wake up and I do this, I put on faith. This is so simple. It's almost a little bit embarrassing that your pastor would say that I have to do this, but I, I'm not afraid to say it because it's so helpful for me. I recite Simple truths. Like how simple? Like this. God is real. God is real. And He really died for me. And He really loves me. I'm a long hand. And He's coming back one day. I'm able to do if, if I just simply start my day off that way, it has a profound impact that I'm awake, that I'm alert, that I'm sober-minded as I move throughout my day. God is real. That He loves me. That He died for me. That I'm His. He's coming back. And to put on love, guys. What's love? Love, and biblically speaking, just a simple, simple definition. Like I'm not trying to get super philosophical. What is love? Right? But a simple definition here. What is love? Love, love is a commitment to put others ahead of your, yourself. It's living for the good of another. Because when you put on love, if you choose every day to put on love, then what that protects you from is living for yourself. It keeps you living for yourself. It, seeks you, it keeps you from going after a selfish lifestyle. You're just all about you, 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 you. And yet, if you like me, man, it's so, so easy to do that. I'm just so bent that way. But if I choose to and look at how you've loved me, look at what you've done, Christ. And how you love me now. I move today to love others, to love you and to love my neighbor, to live for the good of another. And if I'm doing that, then I will be sober-minded. I will be alert. I'll be ready for Christ's return because I'm walking in His promises and I'm living for others. 
Then you add to that this hope, the helmet, the hope of our salvation. What is that? Well, like the helmet guards your mind, right? Guards what you're thinking about. It changes what you're thinking about. If your hope, which is joyful confidence, that's what biblical hope is, joyful confidence, and specifically here, joyful confidence in your salvation. What are you thinking about? What's controlling your thinking, guarding your thinking? It's who you are in Christ. It's the gospel and all of its implications. Jesus is saving me. I'm loved by God. I belong to him. I have a brand new identity. What's my identity? Go through all of that identity language in life. This is who I am. This is who I am. This is who I am in Christ. It, it keeps me from trying to get my identity from others. It tells me how valuable and accepted I am. That, that God the universe loves me enough to die for me, so then I'm not left to try to get others to be telling me that I'm important, that I'm valuable. But I've got God the universe telling me that. I'm thinking about that. It changes how I live. It helps me be alert. It helps me be awake. It will help you as well. Paul says, man, let's live so alive. Let's live in light of who we are. The reason we are who we are is because what Christ has done for us. So let's live in light of who we are. How do we do that? Faith. Love and hope. Put them on. Put them on. Put them on. In prayer, Christ is coming. Last thing he says, verse nine, um, is uh, one more thing that helps us prepare for Christ's coming is realizing that we do know who is coming. We really, that we do know who is coming. So we'll live prepared for Christ's return if we realize we don't know when He's coming. But that he is coming, so let's be ready. And then we do know who we are, so let's live accordingly. And then we do know who is coming. Guys, this is my favorite part. And sometimes this is what gets lost, and I want to encourage you. Like, don't tune out here, okay? Let's, let's think about this together. Who is coming for us? You will be prepared. If you have concentrate, if you'll meditate, you'll think about who is coming. See, the reason Chris and I's anticipation of meeting Enoch is so strong is because we talked about Enoch a long time. We didn't know anything about him. We just knew this baby you, but we were praying for him. We are talking about him. We are preparing for him. We are changing our life around him. Every day, we anticipated being united with him. Friends, if you would take the time to meditate on who is coming, Jesus, your Savior, then you will find yourself preparing for this day. Because you're going to be so taken by who is finally coming for you that you will get to be with him face to face. Look what he says in verse 9. He says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation from our Lord Jesus Christ, who, hear this, this is this, who is coming for us, our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. So that whether we are awake, meaning physically alive or asleep, you're meaning physical death, and it refers back to what we talked about last week. So whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. You hear that last part? Love that. Like the whole big prayer for us uh, for a long time now, you see on the back banners, love being with God, with God, we love who we're with. Like this is Jesus saying, the one who's coming is the one who loves you enough to die for you so that you can be with him. That's why I did it. God said, so that we could be with each other, to be with each other. So I'm coming to you. So think about who's coming. Who's coming, guys? The one who died for you. 
That's who's coming. That's who's coming. The one who had every right to bless him as for wrath. That's who's coming. He had every right to bless us for wrath because we rejected him. And mankind and individually, we rejected God. We went our own way. And God could have destined us for wrath, but instead, He came after us. And He pursued us. And Jesus Christ died for us. See, who, who's coming for us? The one who actually enabled us to escape the severe destruction that we're due. And how did he enable us to escape it? Because Jesus chose to be severely destroyed in our place. You see, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, friends, his flesh was being torn apart, and his life was being drained from him, and he was forsaken by the Father. And emotionally and spiritually and physically he was being destroyed. And in his presence were many who mocked him during that time. And one of the things they would say to him is, why don't you just save yourself? Why don't you save yourself? You say you can save others, but why don't you just save yourself? And friends, he could have. He's God. He could have come off the cross. He could have called the angels down. But instead he saved. He stayed, and he was severely destroyed. He did not escape, but he willingly died. So that we, any one of us, whosoever believes, can escape the severe judgment of this earth because we can be covered That is who is coming for us. He's the best. He's our greatest treasure. He's perfect in every way. He's holy and just. He's loved you with the love you've always longed for. And one day, friends, you will see him face to face. And if you put your faith in him, you will feel his physical embrace. And you will hear his voice audibly, welcoming you into the joy of your master. Guys, that day is coming. Are you anticipating it? For hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years, believers have anticipated this day. And it's led them to live with joy and hope, and it's moved them to live holy lives. To be prepared for his coming. Does it have any impact? See, if it doesn't have an impact on it, then I just want to encourage you to evaluate. That perhaps maybe you have an inaccurate view of who is actually coming for you. See, if you're not anticipating being united with Christ, then I would say there's a good chance that you don't understand who he is. And if that's the case, if that's where you are, then that's fine. Just I would encourage you to talk to somebody about that. 
and to tell somebody, hey, I don't know if I'm real excited about Christ's return, and I might not know who he really is. Talk to somebody that they could join you in opening up Scripture and hearing from God and His Word. That you would hear His promises of who He is and what He's done for you and what He's promised He will do. And that you could pray together and begin talking to God and talking about God with each other so that with this anticipation can naturally build for His return. In fact, I don't think it's a mistake that Paul ends the passage that way. Verse 11, he says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Just as you are doing, friends. Let's do that for one another. Our King is coming back for us. Are you ready? Put your faith in Christ and say, you ready. Are you living the life of who you are? To anticipate His coming? Are you living with faith, love, and hope? Are you meditating on who is coming? that Jesus was destroyed for us that we could escape destruction and be with him forever. We remember that. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul's talking about communion, he ends it with this. He says, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so when we're taking this, guys, let us remember that we're doing this, proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And soon he will I don't know when, but he will. One day, we're going to take this with him. We're going to drink the divine when we're together. It's going to be awesome. Let's build an anticipation for that. It's part of communion right here. If you have yet to ever place your faith in Jesus Christ and forgive for your forgiveness, I want to encourage you not to take communion. To stay where you are and to use this time to Use this time just to talk to God. And perhaps even now, you would decide, I believe you really love me that way. And you can tell God you can be ready right now. Use your own words, but if you want to, here's a couple of things you can say to help you out. You can say, I, I am that awesome. I believe that you can have me. And I'm choosing to make him myself. That God saves you right where you are by His grace. I hope that you do that. If you do that, then welcome to the family. Let me pray everyone who's put their faith in Christ. Come on, take communion. Everyone else, come. We'll gather once in time praising God together. Christ's name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love you because you first loved us, and we love us radically with the love that we don't deserve. Where the part of this passage that we hate the most is the only part that we deserve. And God, as we take communion, we'll remember that Christ took our spot and it's your body and it's your blood that was spilled in us. And you, you've loved us with a love we dare not even dream of. You haven't told us about it in the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And Lord, we anticipate the return. 
May you move us to live in light of that day. And God, may you move us to, to point others to Christ that they will be ready for that day as well. Lord, for anyone in here who has yet to believe, I pray that you move in their hearts now. That they would put their faith in Christ. That they would be able to experience the joy of salvation. Christ, we pray.